Exit Light Inner Podcast. We are back. Uh, me and Brad here tonight. We got a lot to talk about. We got the bowl game coming up. Um, got some predictions coming at the end of the show. We got a guest picture, a triple nickel cowboy. He's agreed to come on the show, so that's going to be good. But uh, before we get into the gist of the bowl game, man, I want to want to give a shout out to our. Our new friend, uh, Luke Boynton. I don't know if you guys follow the uh, Twitter page here in the last couple of days, but, man, we uh, we seen a video of Luke about a week ago. Uh, he was getting a autographed football from Fuente and some of the players, and it really touched our hearts. So we, just, we decided to reach out and do a good thing and send him some gifts. And uh, well, his sister and his family shared the video on Twitter, and, man, it just uh, – it really warmed our hearts. It uh, made my day. It made my Christmas. Uh, we was really, really happy to see Luke's reaction to to the things we got him. Uh, Brad, you want to speak a little bit on Luke? We are big fans of Luke. Oh man, we're huge fans of Luke. You know, we we seen him that video. We we were working together that day and and seen the video, and we we were just over it. Like just that is what sports is about. It. I mean, just. Like everyone is in, everyone is included, and everyone takes a part, and and it touches every single life. If if you're a sports fan, it it doesn't matter what walk of life you're from. You know, it just that's what really touched me the most is just how 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 much love he had for Virginia Tech football, and I won't lie when when I was watching the video when we. You know, I, I, when he, when I seen his reaction to, which I know we, we had been kind of messaging back and forth and his favorite player was Ryan Willis and he was one of the signatures on that, on that picture. And when he seen that and they told him, you know, Brandon had got this picture signed by all the quarterbacks and it was Hendon and QP and Ryan Willis and, and he just burst into like just the happiest tears. I, I also burst into the happiest tears. It, it literally melted my heart. I, I love that kid. I love his fire for the for Virginia Tech, and that's just that's what sports is about, man. I just it like you said, it made my made my day, made my entire 2019 a little bit better. It was just a great thing, man. We were we were just blessed to be able to do something like that. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's more than sports, you know. I mean. Just to, just to see him smile and be happy, I mean, that's all we was asking for. We wouldn't want no, you know, we wouldn't want no fame out of him. We just wanted to make the kid's day, and he ended up making ours. So that was great to see. Big shout-out to Luke. I think we're going to try to meet up with him uh, in the 2020 season. So that's going to be awesome to get to meet him and all that. He's got a great family. We've been talking to them. So shout out to the Boynton family and look forward to seeing you in the 2020. But a uh, big game coming up here in two days. Two days. Uh, we will be heading down that way. We're excited about that. We're going to be five rows in the field, section uh, 109. If anybody wants to meet up with Exolight Inner Podcast, Brad, we got the Kentucky Wildcats, the one dimensional Kentucky Wildcats. What you know about them? Well, I mean, like you said, completely one-dimensional. Uh, that it does, of course, it gives us some pause because we have had a little bit of trouble out of um, uh, mobile quarterbacks in the past. I think overall, he's probably more of a threat than Bryce Perkins with his legs. Uh, Bryce is good, but the thing about Bryce is he also can throw the ball. Not as well as quarterbacks usually should, and one thing I've I've heard a lot was just how how rare Bryce Perkins he only hit like one percent of his throws twenty yards downfield or more. I was I was hearing so I just what he did was just uh, an anomaly, and and but the thing with this Lynn Bowden Jr. kid or Bowden or however you say that he doesn't even take that many throws. I mean, he's only got 330 passing yards on the whole season. He's got 1,235 rushing yards. So he's a major threat. Um, big, big offensive line, defensive line. They, they try to dominate in the trenches, it looks like, from, from what I can tell. Um, something that 
I mean, obviously we could struggle with because their defense is legitimate. They are a they are a good defense. Um, they're, they're top 25 in a lot of major statistics. Uh, overall defense, scoring, rushing defense. They, they've, they've got a lot of um, big defensive stats. They, but their wins are just not that impressive. They barely made a bowl game. I mean, you could say that about us too, I guess. We kind of were talking about that on – online and stuff but their their wins are just not that impressive i mean louisville vandy missouri arkansas eastern michigan like those are just they don't have a solid win on their schedule i think they only got a a game like this because they're in the sec and um i just they just can't pass the ball they're like like you said they're completely one-dimensional i just i'm i'm not confident in their ability to score points on us um, I got a little, it's going to be a weird, uh, game. I mean, there's going to be a lot of trick plays I'm afraid of from Kentucky with them acting like they're going to run the ball, and maybe do some reverses, reverse passes or whatever. But, uh, from watching, uh, Bud Foster over the years, you give him two or three weeks to, to game plan for a one dimensional offense. I, I have a strong feeling he's going to shut them down. I, I certainly agree. And, one of the one of the things that we did so well against Virginia, you know, they they did break off those early big plays for Bryce, and that was fine. But and true, if that hadn't happened, we would have won the game. But I think what they did in the second and third and most of the fourth quarter to Bryce Perkins was keeping our linebackers and our defensive line in their assigned gaps, not doing some of these rotationary uh, like A to B gap plays where linebackers start in a gap and then they rotate out or go around an offensive lineman and go into a different gap. I think I think he learned something there in the first quarter because what Bryce Perkins did was just identify that. He's seen uh, a guy spin around, you know, an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman and try to go down, say, a secondary gap, and then he would just zone read that after he took his progressions through the passing game, and, and he sliced us two or three different times on twice on third down and then that, that touchdown run. And so I think we've learned something from that to, with these running quarterbacks, keep keep your lane. Stay, Rashard Ashby, you know, staying – that dead center shut down that middle portion because that's where we get beat i mean we've got a great linebacking core but they're young and 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 they haven't developed as much closing speed as i think they will in the future and and because of that sometimes when a quarterback gets in the middle of our defense they kind of explode through the secondary and especially on a passing play where the cornerbacks and the safeties are out covering tight ends or covering wide receivers and that middle portion of uh, that's just like an it's like we give them 15 yards if we don't stay in our gaps so i'm hoping that that's one of the big things that that bud and justin and uh, some of the other coaches i know the coaching staff is kind of up in the air right now for the actual bowl game itself they're starting to get it nailed down for next season but bud was kind of talking about how there's they're not a hundred percent sure on on exactly who's going to be coaching what at the well when he was talking at the press conference, so I'm hoping that they've nailed that down. Like just just stay in your gaps, shut down those running lanes, make him pass. Don't let him out of the pocket. Don't just start. Don't run past him. That's what a lot of guys in the NFL say about like Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson. Don't run past the guy. Keep him in front of you. Don't let him out of the pocket. Make him throw the ball. And if we do that, then they have no chance because the kid barely can throw. Yeah, from watching the the game film on him, I mean, he just every throw he throws looks like a dying duck. But I think the uh, the biggest players are going to be uh, Shamari Connor, Diablo, and Rich Floyd because once he gets to that next level, they're going to have to stand him up and hold him to two or three yard gains. I mean, just make, you have to make him throw the ball. I mean, press him, blitz him, contain him. And just, I mean, if he beats you through the air, then whatever. I mean, it was meant to happen, I guess. Yeah. Well, same for Bryce. Like we made him throw the ball and he beat us through the air. I mean, and so be it. They, he's literally never done that in his entire college career. So bud bet 
the house on Bryce Perkins can't beat us through the air, and he did, and that had never happened before. So I applaud Bud for at least doing what he knew was going, well, what he thought should have worked. So I think that there's no chance in the world that this guy is on the same level as Bryce Perkins. He's a, he's a real threat with the ground game. But, like, if we just do what we were just talking about, keep him in front of you and stand him up, make your tackles, break down when he gets in front of you in the open field, don't shift side to side. I agree with you. I think, you know, one thing that is so surprising is how, how much our defense plays, like, we go as our safeties go. If you'll notice, like the safeties didn't play well against Virginia, and we got beat. The safeties didn't play well against Duke, we get beat. Like when our safeties don't play well, that's not a good sign for our defense. So I think you're right. I think it's all about Reggie Floyd. Are you going to go out and play your best game for your last collegiate game? Diablo, you trying to you know make sure you keep that starting job next year? Connor, he's gonna is he going to cap off this great year that he's had with a, with a big game? And I, I think. Some of those guys, like you said, I easily are the keys to the game. They they almost always are anyways, but especially in a game like this, there are key to literally a win or a loss. Oh, for sure. And then I seen a report today that Jermaine Waller and Farley is going to be out. So that's going to be two of your better corner cover corners, but I'm not sure how how much of a cover corner we need. I know we got a Marnie. Armani Chapman, and who will fill in for uh, Waller? I'm drawing a blank. Webb, I believe, should be filling in for him if he's healthy. Uh, maybe Jeremy Webb. Uh, yeah. yeah but, uh, if not him, I wonder if they don't make some moves like move a safety over because they're not going to be throwing the ball a whole heck of a lot. So I wonder if they don't move one of the starting safeties over and maybe give Devin Hunter the start. That'd be that'd be something a little different, but it would also put a lot of bigger bodies on the field that could that could close out on on Bowden. So that'd be something to watch for. I, I know that's kind of a a little bit of a hot take, but I I would wonder if both of our starting corners are out if we wouldn't maybe move somebody like Reggie over. Reggie's got a lot of speed. Maybe move Reggie over from the rover position to the cover spot in a couple of uh, a couple of our defensive sets, and maybe have Devin Hunter and Divine Diablo back there uh, in the two cover spots. Yeah, we might even try a three-four defense and get Alan Tisdale out there. Yeah, I know he's probably our fastest linebacker, so that might be a choice there too. Tisdale's probably going to play a lot. I'd say, like you said, he's quick, and nothing against Dax. Dax has had a really great year, considering. Um, you know, there was it was kind of an up and down 2018 for him, um, but 2019 he's really matured. You could you could see it game to game. He's really matured in his like the way that he'll hold the line and and like he broke down a few times on Bryce Perkins to make a tackle and not just Bryce but others like wide receivers and stuff. Just not overdoing it, stopping. You know, slowing the game down for him. I think just game time and, and preparation has done him a lot of good. And he's really looking like the four-star guy that we picked up out of North Carolina. I think he's going to come out with a vengeance. I think all these North Carolina guys are. They're going to want to play really well in their home state. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be probably Hendon Hooker's biggest uh, test as far as probably the best defense that we've faced this year. So this is going to be a – a challenge on both sides of the ball. Uh, I mean, if we can score 28 points, I think we'll win. I think that's the number we're going to have to get to because I think they're going to they're going to bust out some plays, score a couple of touchdowns on us. They might. They they might get a. They might. It was kind of like going into the Virginia game. You kind of think a guy that dynamic is going to get a cup. He might get you a couple times in four quarters. So they absolutely could score a couple of touchdowns. And I agree with you, especially all the talk. They're already asking the kid about, you know, have they said anything to you if you're going to be the starter? Have, what, do you, what, are your, what is your mindset going into next year? Like the year's not even over, and the media's already busting his chops about, do you think you're going to be the starter? Are you excited to go into camp fighting? Like, I mean, let the kid finish his – so the pressure's already on his shoulders to – kind of go into next year with the momentum of the starting job. 
and with some pretty good pretty good guys sitting behind him in QP and the Braxton Burmeister and I've heard a few people talk about that uh the Caden uh, I'm drawing a blank on his last name Knox I believe Knox Caden Knox Caden yeah that's right and uh so a lot of people have been talking about him coming in and and maybe contending for the job as well so I mean he's got a lot of pressure on his shoulders and it'll be exciting to see how he uh turns up the volume for a game like that with you know the pressure of UVA there was he he played well I, I thought I mean the last couple of drives I know but UVA knew we were dropping back and throwing the ball on that last drive and the offensive line just kind of crumbled so it's not the same kind of pressure as that we'll, well I'm excited to see what he's got uh coming out of the gate on Tuesday yeah it's just a it's a big game for us to carry the momentum into next year but uh not to get off off track a little bit but the the bow games are pretty cool for the kids i don't know if you've been following them on twitter and instagram but they uh they got to do some laps around charlotte motor speedway this this week with uh jeb burton and i thought that was cool i was on instagram watching them on live and just seeing their facial expressions when they're going about 180 mile an hour that's pretty cool to see them out there having having a good time i mean this is a time for them to relax but it's also a time for them to uh really carry a big win in the next year oh a huge win i mean uh, we've talked about this in the last podcast and i'll continue to talk about it until august of 2020 um this game and the penn state game we need this one for the momentum and to and to really carry into next year uh, a good uh, nice season i think I think the floor is basically what we hit. Eight and four was kind of the floor for what this season could have been. But especially given how weak the schedule was, but looking forward, now that we've kind of experienced what we have with the quarterback change and Fuente's kind of getting a better feel for what he believes that our offense can be, especially getting him moved past the, the Ryan Willis thing I think was big. I think he, he really wanted to develop Ryan Willis into something and just getting him over that hump, like just moving him past that was big. So now I'm excited to see what, if we can just make the right move. I'm Personally, I'm kind of hoping they stick with Hooker next year just because I, I think he fits what we're trying to do so well. And he's only got a, a few games. He is still so young. He's such a such a small amount of playing time even still i'm just i really am excited to see what he can bring with a full season and a big season at that big expectations yeah there's gonna be a lot to a lot to watch for here uh probably within the next couple of weeks i know we got some uh, coaches still need to be hired and i and i look forward I look for the transfer portal to be full of Hokies. I mean, I hate to say it, but we're 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 really deep at running back. We just don't need that many running backs, and unfortunately, we got a lot of quarterbacks. And I'm afraid we may lose one or two of those. What do you think about that? I'd say so. Um, me and you have kind of went back and forth in talking off podcast about this, but I I wonder about QP because it seems like. Everybody is raving about Braxton. I mean, all the players rave about Braxton Burmeister on the, I think he's been running like practice squad and stuff like that. So I think everybody's been talking great about him. And, you know, the Knox is a little younger, so I, I don't think he's really in the formula right at this moment. But I do have concerns that Quincy may end up putting his name in the portal. I hope not. I really like Quincy. I'd like for him to stick around, but and just just to have him on the roster. But I, I do worry that he may end up in the portal as, as well as some running backs for sure. Because I mean, golly, we've t- we talked on the last podcast. How many do we have? Lord, eight, nine. I mean, Justin Fuente said he's like, you know, we had question marks at running back, and now we have a lot of answers. And like. Uh, kind of the the room kind of chuckled when he whatever I don't remember the exact quote but the room kind of chuckled when he said that and I was thinking yeah we've got a like 10 answers so now we have to make that decision as well so 
I think you're probably right. I just I hope that it's not the wrong guys that hit the portal. Yeah, I mean, it is it is what it is. The transfer portal is college football now, so we just have to take what we get. It's just unfortunate. I think Quincy's probably the odd man out right now. Probably. And, you know, like you said, that's actually a, a great thing to talk about is just how the transfer, port, port, transfer portal has changed the landscape of college football. I mean, you look at these great quarterbacks, like all of them that are that were in the playoff, were transfer guys outside of Trevor Lawrence. He come in um, straight into Clemson, but the other three were odd men out at other schools. You know, Georgia chose Drake Fromm over Justin Fields, and Ohio State chose Justin Fields over Joe Burrow, and J- Jalen Hurts left Alabama because of the Tua thing, and he wanted one more season to probably get his draft stock up by going to Oklahoma. It's just that that transfer portal is huge right now in college football. It's like any any guy who feels slighted or thinks he's good enough but isn't getting the shot at a place, he's hitting that transfer portal immediately and uh that's it's really putting a dent in some of these teams. Yeah. Which I, that's going to lead us into our next segment here is uh man uh... I don't know if you got to watch the games yesterday. I know you was eating some good food, but you probably caught the second game. But, man, Joe Burrow absolutely lit up Oklahoma. (laughs) He had seven touchdowns in the first half. I mean, he's really impressive. And uh, to the eye test, they're going to be really hard to beat. And then, uh, you know, last night was probably the the greatest playoff game I've personally watched, uh, Clemson versus Ohio State. And, Everybody was sleeping on Clemson, and, and they just, I mean, they went down early 10 nothing, or might have been more than that, and then, uh, wow, here come Trevor Lawrence. He just stormed back, and he really showed you why he why he's probably the next greatest quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, and I, we did watch um, a lot of the Oklahoma game. Just I had it on uh, YouTube TV on, on the phone, kind of more listening than watching. And um, then I went back and watched some of the highlights of the Oklahoma LSU game. We watched about three quarters or more of the uh, Clemson Ohio State game. I, I missed that first quarter, but everything from there on, I watched the rest. And LSU just is absolutely unreal. You know, they were talking on Sports Center a few days ago about like some of the greatest teams of the decade, and I think they're missing one. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen a college team this dominant. Have you ever seen, I mean, even like 2012 Alabama, it was just, it was not like this. These guys are freaking blowing people out by 40 points, like the best teams in college football. They're they're destroying by large margins, and um, LSU just, they say that they've only got, one wide receiver that's a first-round pick, and I think that's baloney. They've got three guys that should be first- or second-round picks. And Joe Burrow, you can make arguments. I, I'm not 100% sure if I'm on the bandwagon with him being the next NFL great quarterback. I wonder if a lot of that's not him being, one, they've got a gigantic, amazing offensive line. He's got an absolute fantastic running back behind him. Uh, three super good wide receivers and a defense that is shutting down everyone they see lately. Ever since the playoff committee came out and said that LSU's defense was a concern because they gave up a few points to whoever, they ever since that happened, they've been giving up almost nothing. I mean, so I just don't know if Joe Burrow's this NFL great. He might be. I'm not convinced of it yet. I think it's more of the system and – everything that's around him, but I don't want to slide the guy. He had the best freaking playoff game ever. So, you know, shout out Joe Burrow. Congratulations. And I don't think there's anything to comment on the Clemson-Ohio State game other than just Trevor Lawrence has the heart of a champion. I mean, that's just – he – when it, his ice – he has ice in his veins when the game's on the line. It just – it seems like he can play like like crap for an entire night and then if his defense gives him a chance to win it all at the end he'll he'll take it so i and it's not just him that whole team is just championship pedigree 
you know, championship DNA all the way down. But he really runs that train. You could hear it after the game in his in his post game interview. He just he was so confident in his guys and confident in his defense and confident in his uh, playmakers. And he was like, we weren't even worried. We we knew that if we had a chance at the end, we were going to go out and win it. And that just his confidence is is unmatched in college football right now. Yeah, I mean, Clemson is just, they, they're they just winning. I mean, they've won 29 games in a row, I think, now. So, I mean, until they get beat, you got to consider them the favorite. And I think ESPN has them 55% chance to beat LSU. And, and uh, man, I don't that's going to be a great national. That's probably going to be the best national championship game the uh, playoff committee's put together yet. I agree. And I think, the, I think Vegas had them. It's been all over the place. It opened up at three, and then it ballooned to five-point LSU favorite. And now I think – I've seen somebody online say that it's dropped to one-and-a-half LSU favorite. So it looks like the LSU is probably going to be the money line favorite as far as the point spread goes. But I, if I had to put money on it, I'm putting money on Clemson just because, like you said, until I see somebody beat them, I don't know how you do it. I mean, their defense – looks even better than last year, and they put like eight guys in the NFL last year. So, I mean, and the offense is, like, if you shut down one guy, you've got four other guys. I mean, how many guys can LSU shut down? Their defense has been stepping up a lot, but with Oklahoma, they don't have a great running back. They've got one really great wide receiver in C.D. Lamb and Jalen Hurts, who runs the ball well. And... Their defense played really well against that. They shut down C.D. Lamb except for that one one or two long passes. They they pretty much had C.D.'s number. But with Clemson, you've got uh, Justin Ross, and you've got Travis Etienne, and you've got – I mean, it's just tr- Trevor Lawrence's feet are pretty good. And his, they're T. Higgins. T. Higgins. And it's just, it's just all the way down the line. It's just guy after guy after guy after guy that they're throwing at you that's um, an NFL talent. So, I – I wonder if LSU's defense won't struggle with that a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Oklahoma, I mean, they kind of got in there by default. They ha- they haven't played a physical team. and LSU got physical with the receivers. They was press, press covering the whole game, really shut down. They was press covering and putting the pressure on Jalen Hurts, and that, that was the pedigree to beat in Oklahoma, but – I mean, Clemson's physical as well. So this is going to be a knockdown, drag out. It's not going to be a high-scoring game, I don't think. I mean, it might be 31-27 or something, but it's not going to be in the 50s and 60s. No, Clemson's defense is too good for that. Even Ohio State, Ohio State had the best offense all year. Ohio State was putting up 50 on everybody, 50 on Wisconsin, 50 on Michigan. They were putting up 48 and 50 points on everybody, and – even they couldn't get over 30 on uh, on Clemson. I don't I don't see that game getting out of the high 20s, low 30s either. Uh, Clemson's defense is just too severe. There's just too many guys. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll pick that game here at the end of the end of the session. But uh, I mean, we'll we'll touch real quick on the basketball. I think uh, what they they just beat the crap out of somebody. Maryland Eastern. Maryland Shores. Eastern. <laughs> it was like one in forty. I don't know. That was right. <laughs> terrible. But, but uh, shout out to to Mike Young, and uh, he uh, got the double digit wins. So that's good to see. Good to see in his first year. I mean, he's he's overachieving in my opinion. And uh, I don't know if you guys caught it last week, but we did a great interview with one of his top recruits coming in, Joe Bamasil. <laughs> if you if you haven't heard it, you're gonna love the guy. He's we're already fan favorites, so if you if you, you need to go back and listen to that. You you gotta go back and listen to that. This guy is is unbelievable really for a for a guy who's still in high school. He's still got half of his senior year to go. And he is so mature and just so well rounded and the way that he answered questions was incredible. I mean, me and you were sitting next to each other doing the interview and like every time he started to answer, I'm just like looking at you. I'm like, this is unbelievable. This guy is so well rounded. I'm so excited for him to get his leadership. Just you can you can feel his leadership through the airwaves. You can feel what he will bring to that court on and off the court. 
he is going to be such an asset for at least one year. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't come in and wreck the NCAA and then roll on to the NBA. But even just for that one year, thank God we're going to have him. Yeah, super talented, cool, calm, and collected. So he's going to he's gonna fit great into this offense. If y'all haven't watched his uh, highlight tapes, oh. he can really stroke the three ball. So he's going to fit in great with Mike Young's offense, running gun, shoot the three. So. That's what I was just about to say is just if you've not seen what we have coming in, look up him and a couple of these other recruits. Mike Young has got some real – ball players coming in next year and and 2021 he is really recruiting his tail off if you are not watching some of these recruits mike young if if he can put the talent together that he's got coming in and this could this we really could be competing for some serious games i I really believe that the system he has and some of the guys he's got coming in with joe and and some of these other guys joe especially he's He's one of the best I've personally watched, you know, like highlight tapes and film and stuff like that on. Uh, he looks really good, and some of the other guys do too. I'm I'm not even kidding. I I am so impressed with what Mike Young is doing and some of the guys that he's bringing in. I'm I am really excited for what Virginia Tech basketball is going to look like in 2020, 2021, and 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 further on. Yeah, rock on, Mike Young, and keep and get them boys in the tournament this year and uh, next year if you can get you a big man currently might be right in the top 15 but uh bradford we uh you ready to get these uh triple nickel cowboy on the line triple nickel cowboy i uh could not believe that was what that's what he uh went by i'm i'm really excited to have somebody on to make some picks and i think he's gonna give us a bonus pick on the uh conor mcgregor cowboy Cerrone. Uh, big UFC fight coming up in January because apparently, and he confirmed it with pictures, uh, he gets mistaken for Donald Cerrone, Donald Cowboy Cerrone a lot, so he kind of plays off that nickname a little bit with the triple nickel cowboy. So uh, I'm really excited to have him on. He did confirm with pictures. It is true. He does look a lot like Donald Cerrone. So uh, we're excited to have him pick the football games and, and give us a little bonus pick on on the big fight coming up. Yes, sir. Uh, you want to ring him in? Yes, sir. All right, folks. We got a guest picker in the house, Triple Nickel Cowboy. We're going to pick some games and I think a special UFC fight, Triple Nickel Cowboy. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe your real name, where you're from, what you do? Yeah. Um, my name is Seth. I was born and raised in a town called Plum Creek, which is right outside of Blacksburg. Uh, grew up going to the Hokie games for a long time and uh, watched the rise from the old Hokies to the new Hokies. And um, I'm a ex-U.S. Air Force veteran. I uh, did about 10 years active duty, and now I do overseas private military security contract work. All right, man. Uh, thank you for your service, and uh, we're going to start picking some games here. Uh, first game of the night uh, Florida versus them Wahoos up north in Charlottesville. Um, I think it's going to be a boat race. I think Florida's going to win 38-14. to 14. Seth, what do you think? Um, I believe that UVA is going to get waxed by Florida. Um, a little animosity after they beat us this year, obviously, but I just don't think they're that good of a team. Now, Florida... I, I'm thinking the first half it's going to be like a nine to three kind of game, and then Florida's just with their depth. Florida's just going to run away from it. I think your score is dead on. I'd say like thirty-seven, maybe ten, maybe thirteen. I uh, I'm on board. I agree with the animosity. Hate them so bad, especially this year. It just feels so much worse. And um, I don't think they have a prayer. Just given. Florida's defense, and they're so fast, and um, just the SEC's defense, a lot of times when they get faced against a team like Virginia, uh, and Virginia thinks they're going to run the ball with Bryce Perkins and all this, it's it's not going to happen. I'll, I'll agree. I'll I'll take the I'll take the score up a notch though because I think Florida's going to want to try to pull out some fresh things. 
going into next year because I think they're going to try to make a run at a playoff berth. So I think they're going to be trying to pull their offense a little higher. I'm going to – I'll give them 45 to maybe 17, give Virginia a couple of uh, – couple scoring opportunities I, but i think it's going to be a boat race all right so we can all agree uva is going to get their ass kicked but uh, all right so we're going to pick these new year six bowls we got minnesota versus auburn in the outback bowl um i'm uh, really impressed with what pj flex has been able to do at minnesota uh it's going to be a high scoring game i think uh, minnesota is going to pull it out 42 to 33 seth um, Minnesota and Auburn. Yes, sir. I believe Auburn is going to take that. Minnesota's had a really good year. Um, they pulled out an amazing win over Penn State, but Auburn, I mean, they, they're just, uh, their head coach, uh, what's his name, Chizik? It's either Chizik or Mustang, one of the two. Uh, um, I can't remember what his name is. Gus Malzahn. Yeah. Yeah, that's who it is. Um, he's a freaking genius, man, and I just – there's no way you could prepare to stop him. I mean, I, they beat Alabama this year, so, I mean, there's no stopping them. They got all the momentum going in. Um, Minnesota had a great run, but I think it'll probably be like maybe a 27-14 game, but I think Auburn wins that one. I am on Cowboys team on this one. I'm picking Auburn. I think it's going to be – uh, middle scoring game. I'm going to go a late field goal for Auburn, 27-24, to pull it out against the Minnesota Gophers. Great season. Uh, I really am impressed with what P.J. Flex doing up there, especially getting players to come to a place like Minnesota and play. And their quarterback is, is really good. I just I don't think they're going to be able to generate enough to keep Auburn off the field. And I think that young quarterback for Auburn starting to figure some stuff out as far as their offensive game plan and, and such. I, I'm going to go 27-24, late field goal, pulls Auburn ahead. Good deal. All right, next game's going to be the Michigan versus Alabama Citrus Bowl. Uh, Alabama's kind of in some foreign territory here, not being in the college football playoff. And uh, kind of makes you wonder if they're not going to be totally prepared and probably just don't really care about it uh i think michigan's going to catch them with their pants down i think they're going to pull off the upset versus alabama 28 to 24 i disagree i i think um i despise alabama as a program but i believe that michigan is one of the most overrated programs in college football history and especially jim harbaugh he just cannot coach up in the big games you see it every year against ohio state they're there, and then they just get trounced. And, I I mean, I don't know how he keeps bringing in these recruits, but I just think – I think Alabama's mad about the playoff. And it's like you said, they could be, you know, not all there, but I think a really upset Nick Saban is not somebody you want to deal with on the football field. I think it's going to be, I would say, probably 45 to 20. Wow. This guy's picking a big win for the – uh, Crimson yeah. Tide. I'm kind of in the middle. I I see both sides of the coin. I see Nick Saban being pissed off and completely uh, backslapping the Wolverines, but I also see them being a little slow out the gate. I think it's going to be a close game in the first half, uh, kind of like Michigan-Ohio State. I think it'll be close for the first half, and I think Michigan will, will find a way to get a few big plays off. But I just think there's too much talent in in uh, old Tuscaloosa. I, I just don't think that they're going to have enough answers offensively for what Alabama's going to be able to do, even with a backup quarterback in. Uh, I'm not going to go as high scoring. I'm going to say 27-21. Alabama's going to win the game, and it's not going to – It'll the score's going to look closer than what the game actually looks in the second half. Good deal. Moving on to the Rose Bowl, we're going to have Oregon versus Wisconsin. Uh, kind of the tale of two different offenses here. We're going to have a power game from Wisconsin and that great running back of theirs, and then you're going to have the finesse uh, spread offense of Oregon. So this is going to be a fun one to watch. Uh, I'm going to go with the power football game. I'm going to go Wisconsin uh, 21, Oregon uh, 10. Seth? 
I am going to disagree again. Um, I think Oregon is just going to outpace them. Um, with that power run game, if they're not punching it in almost every time they have it and Oregon gets the ball back and they get two, three, four quick scores, I think it, they're just going to run away with it. I'm going to say 37 to, I'd say 14. Another big win. Oh, Cowboys picking the big wins. This is another one that I'm I'm really on the fence here. I I am really on the fence. I was I was struggling thinking about this game before we even started the podcast. Just they're so different and the defense is also so different. Um I think that uh what's going to end up happening is the power game's going to be too much for Oregon. And I, I actually, as much as I don't want to, I, I want to pick Oregon, but then when I've seen them against a power defense like kind of Arizona State has, Justin Herbert looks so ugly. And I'm going to go with Wisconsin. I'm going to go against my gut. My gut tells me to pick Oregon. I don't. I just think Wisconsin's going to be mad the way their season kind of ended. I, I'm going to go real low scoring. I'm going to go 21-14 Wisconsin. The old cowboy keeps picking against me. Let's see if we can get one together here. We're going to have the uh, Georgia Bulldogs versus the Baylor Bears. Kind of the same thing. A power pro style offense versus the spread offense. And uh, I don't know if you watched the LSU and Oklahoma game, but kind of kind of proved that the big 12 is pretty weak so i'm gonna say i'm gonna go with georgia in a big win over baylor 38 to 21 seth i am going to disagree again um <laughs> being a redskins fan and a rg3 fan when they drafted him uh really took notice of baylor bears and what they're doing um they've had a great year uh they had two uh two uh two tough losses but I think Baylor, it's not going to be a big win. I think it's going to be like a – I think they're going to kick a last-minute field goal or a last-second touchdown to win it. I think it's going to be about 35, 31, somewhere around that range. Um, it just seems like when the, the crush time comes, they're up for the challenge. So I'm going with the Bears. I love what Baylor's done all year. And the only team that's beat them has been Oklahoma. And – we did see what happened when Oklahoma played an SEC team, and Georgia hung, tried to hang tough with LSU. They couldn't know, and I don't. But I, I'm gonna. I, I want to pick with my heart this time because I just think Baylor has something special going on down there. They've just got, they've got some players that they didn't expect to be as good as they are, and. I'm really excited for to see what they've got building down there, and um, I'm gonna just pick the off pure uh, just finesse more than anything. They're just gonna figure it out. They're they're a tough squad, like Seth said. They're a tough team, and both times against Oklahoma, they they battled back and made it a you know they were up big, and then Oklahoma came back, and then the second game, Oklahoma was up big, and Baylor kind of toughed it out and tried to come back and I think they're a tough squad and I think Georgia is so defeated because Alabama's out of the race and then you still couldn't get in the playoffs like you've got all this momentum going into this year everybody's talking about Georgia is the the national champs Georgia's this Georgia's that Georgia's gonna have an easy year run to the playoffs and then for it to not happen with an ugly loss to South Carolina and just couldn't get over the LSU hump and I just uh, don't think – I think Georgia's disappointed. I think Georgia is going to have more of a hangover than Alabama is, in fact, and I think Baylor's going to pull it out big time. I think 38-21's not out of the question. I agree totally because it seems like every time Georgia has a good squad, they run into the greatest Alabama squad or the best LSU Tigers there ever was. So, yeah. I mean, it's like there's no point in them being good because they're not going to win the conference. They're always going to be second you know? best. they they can yeah. never get over that hump of being number two in their conference. Exactly. All right, guys. I'm going to save the national championship game for last. And uh, 
I guess we'll go ahead and pick the belt bow. Me and Brad's going to be making the trip down. Uh, we're really excited about it. And, uh, we just absolutely hate the state of Kentucky in general because uh, we have to go up there and work, and it's the biggest dump you've ever seen. But, uh, <laughs> I've been on the fence about it. I don't know. A lot of people's picking against us, but I'll never pick against the Hokies. I'm going to go Hokies 28, Kitty Cats 20. Seth? Um, I am going to go with the Hokies. Hokies have magic in the belt bowl, as we know from the 2016, uh, being down 24 nothing and coming back and winning that game. It was absolutely incredible. Um, I just think there's something special when we play in Charlotte. I think our fan base is really going to show up. Um, I think with the new, you know, all the new coaching rumors and all that, I think there's, I think we've injected some life into into the team going forward. Um, it sucks that Charlie Wiles won't be there coaching, but I believe Daryl Cap is going to coach in the bowl. If I'm correct, I may be mistaken on that. But I think with Justin Hamilton being named D coordinator, I think that really registers with all the young guys we got, and we got possibly what 21 out of 22 people coming back. Um, I think we just have so much momentum right now, and I believe the Hokies are going to win big. we got to stop their quarterback from running all over us, which has been a problem for the Hokies. But I think uh, the Hokies are going to win big. I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say 37, let's go 20. You know, uh, I, I, to speak on what you said, I think Daryl Tapp is going to have, I think I've seen he's going to have something to do with it. But he's not going to be an like an on the field like coach coach. Um, but as far as the game goes, we talked earlier about just us stopping the run and being able to um, really dial in on our defensive scheme and and really stay the course and keep him in front of us. And um, it's going to be important for us to play to our strength. Um, and so I, I know we're going to win the game. And of course we barely even had to pick this game of worth. We all know, I think we all believe the Hokies are going to win. It's a, the score that we're really going for here. Uh, Kentucky's defense is scary. They're top 25 across the board in a lot of big categories. They're good. And, um, I think they are going to hold us down a little bit, but I, it's not going to be enough. Their offense is too one dimensional. We're going to, we're gonna run all over the offense. Our, our defense is not gonna let not gonna let much by. I'll give them I'll give them 17 points. I think we're gonna score. I think it'll be 28-17. Um, Hendon Hooker is gonna have a good game, and and the defense is gonna shut them down. They'll they'll get a couple of big plays off because that's what happens when you get a guy with that much mobility and and dynamic ability. Um, but overall, they're they're not gonna have enough on offense to keep up with us. I think it's going to be it's going to be huge if they decide to keep Caleb Farley out or not. That's what I think because if we can dare them to pass the ball and just blitz the run and keep that quarterback in there, I think it's 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 going to be a long night. But if Caleb Farley can't go and then we got to rely on somebody younger and they get a couple big plays off, then it turns into a whole different game. Yeah, we saw a report earlier that Jermaine Waller and Farley might set this one out, so that's going to yeah gonna really catch so that. Yeah, that's going to play a big factor into it. So if we can't dare them to pass the ball, then we might be in for a long belt bowl. Yeah. It's going to be fun to watch. going to be probably one of the most watched bowl games other than the, the final four. But uh, that leads us to the, the Big Daddy National Championship. Uh, we're, uh, I think it's going to be probably the best one we've seen. Um, LSU versus Clemson. Uh, LSU probably – the, the bigger eye test, uh, they're probably the better team if you're just going by the eye test. But uh, it's hard to go against Clemson. They've won 29 straight games, and I'm going to roll with the Tigers of Clemson. I'm going to go with them, 38-31. Uh, it's going to be a high-scoring game, going to be a fun one. Uh, Seth, what do you think, man? I actually agree with you. Um, obviously, I might be a little biased. I like to root for the ACC in uh, the bowl season. Um, but the Tigers – the Tigers are what I aspire Virginia Tech to be, and um, Dabo has built it from almost nothing. I remember the days we used to kill Clemson when we played him. And, I mean, now he's got them in back-to-back -back playoff games. He beat Alabama. He beat Ohio State. Um, 
there's something with that team that they believe in each other, and I don't think it's quite like anything else that we've ever seen before in college football. Um, LSU is great. Joe Burrow is awesome. Um, their wide receivers are great. Running back is great. Defense is fantastic. But I just don't – you can't beat somebody's beliefs, and I think Dabo gets his team so well prepared that they believe they're going to win no matter what. I mean, look at the other night. They were down, what, 16 points to Ohio State? Everybody thought Ohio State was going to cruise, and then here they come. And you just I, – I think the score is going to be what you said. It's going to be a, a high-scoring affair. But I think uh, Clemson wins by a touchdown or a, a late field goal one or two. I um, am also on the Clemson bandwagon. I I said it going into the playoff. I was like, the only team that we're not talking about is Clemson, and they like it that way. They they think that um, they uh, they think that they're just they're better. They just think they're better. The Clemson just believes, like you were saying, and we talked earlier in the podcast about Trevor Lawrence being such a dynamic leader, and just making sure that he gets his guys ready to go, just like Dabo does. It's almost like a baby Dabo on the field. Trevor Lawrence is incredible. And I don't, I do disagree with you all as far as the score goes. I don't think it's going to be a very high-scoring affair. Clemson's defense is unreal. They put so many guys in the NFL, and they're probably better this year than last year. It's unbelievable. I can't. It's hard to fathom. There, there's been all these pundits talking about how they can't believe that Clemson's defense could be better, but it looks like it is. I mean, Ohio State started strong, but they just couldn't get touchdowns on the board. It was like field goal, field goal, field goal. Like, Clemson just does not break very many times for touchdowns. I'll give it um, 27-24. I don't think it breaks into 30 for either team. I think both defenses will show up, and uh, I think Clemson's going to pull it out, but it'll be close. 27-24, Clemson Tigers. Awesome. So we're all riding the, the Clemson train. So go ACC, go Clemson, go Dabo. Take care of them. Uh, we got one more special pick coming up. I'm going to set this one out because I just don't know much about the UFC. And, uh, I think Triple Nickel Cowboy Seth here is a big UFC fan. And, uh, oh, yeah. Got a, big one, got a big one coming up in a couple weeks. Conor McGregor versus the Cowboy. Uh, Seth, you want to speak on that? I think Brad's a big UFC fan too, so y'all can talk about that a little bit if y'all want to. Yeah, uh, January 18th. Um, I won't be in town. Uh, I will be gone overseas for the fight, but I will be watching it no matter where I am. Um, my favorite fighter, um, besides Brock Lesnar, who obviously don't fight anymore, but um, Donald Cowboy Cerrone is fighting Conor McGregor, and I believe that Donald Cerrone is going to head kick him and knock him out, and it is going to be the greatest victory in UFC history by any fighter. Um, Conor McGregor is a great fighter. He's a great fight promoter. He knows how to talk. He knows how to sell fights. But I don't think he buys into his skills. I think he's just there kind of for the show, you know, kind of like a Mayweather, you know. And um, in his big fights, he's gotten beat more times than not. Um, look at the Nate Diaz fight, the first one. He went in there, thought he's just going to cruise through Nate Diaz, and Nate Diaz put him on his back and tapped him out. Um, you look at Khabib, Khabib destroyed McGregor in uh, four rounds. I mean, I don't even think Khabib lost a round in that fight. Um Conor McGregor has beat some good people, but the auto fight, I think he got a lucky punch off in that fight. Um, we just don't know what could have been because it ended so early. The Mendez fight, Mendez is coming in on a short fight camp. I think if Mendez has a full camp, that fight goes five rounds. Um, maybe even Mendez gets a decision. But um, there's more pressure on McGregor than there is Cerrone because Cerrone's the all-time leader in wins, all-time leader in knockouts, all-time leader in submissions. I mean, he's already got all the accolades. He's got all the fans. Um, you know, he's the guy that fights anybody, anytime, anywhere, and that's his legacy. And it's not going to be broken whether he wins or lose. And he's making a million bucks either way. So I think all the pressure's on McGregor. McGregor also hasn't fought in about two years. So, and Cerrone's been fighting, I mean, he'll, he'll fight four times in a year, five times in a year. So I think uh, Cerrone's, Cerrone has to get past the first round, initial that, uh, whether that initial storm, and I think he just hits him with a head kick and just ends it. Um, lot to unpack there uh i've been on the fence a lot about this fight when i heard it was announced i was super pumped because I, I i love cowboy cerrone but i also love mcgregor just for just for his antics more than anything i mean 
he's so fun to watch and his he's he always gets the fight so amped up even if it's really not even that good of a fight like the the fight between him and eddie alvarez i was like this isn't even a good fight he'll destroy eddie he, eddie doesn't have the the um the ability to survive as long as and connor really doesn't either but eddie's even worse than him so I didn't even think that was a good matchup, but Connor made it feel like it was this gigantic matchup of a fight, and the the, the going for the champ champ and all that other stuff. And and I mean, the only thing that gives me pause for Connor is when I heard it was announced at 170. That is so yep. huge. You're spotting 15 pounds to Cerrone. That's his home weight, really. I mean, I know he's kind of went back and forth between lightweight and welterweight um he kind of fluctuates there but he really performs i think best at 170 and i've never seen connor perform his best at 170 his best really was 145 but i know that's a killer weight cut for him so it really is hurting his body to do that so he had to kind of come to lightweight just to preserve his career some i think more than anything um the thing with the fight is just going to be like you said, Connor hasn't really fought much in four or five years. I mean, a couple times in four years. And Cowboy, in those four years, I bet he's fought, I don't know, what do you think, probably 15 fights? And <laughs> then 15 to two. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Connor is coming in a, a little rusty. I, I think it is intriguing that we've barely heard from Connor. A couple Instagram posts, a couple Facebook posts, but not much talking. He's been in the lab working. And that makes me wonder if he's uh, he's taking this seriously. Because, like you said, his legacy and his career is on the line on January 18th. Because if he loses this one, he might as well just hang it up and go do movies and stuff, really. I mean, he might... If he can't beat Cerrone with a full camp, I mean, there's no excuses here. There's not, uh, well, I've been out for a long time, or this is, Cerrone, as good as he is, is not Khabib. He's not 28-0 Khabib, who's just mauls everybody he touches. So there's really no yeah. excuses here. There, it's, you know, their, their styles match up well. They're both stand-up guys with a little bit of wrestling. Uh, Cerrone... I'd probably give Cerrone the edge in, in wrestling, but I'd probably give Connor the edge in striking. So I, they're an even fighter to me. They they feel like the same guy, just Cerrone's a little older. And, and Cerrone has fought a hell of a lot more. Um, with that being said, I probably, if this was a fight at 155, I'd pick Connor going away. Because I think the, at the lower weight classes, Connor's power punch matters a lot more the lower weight you get. That's why I don't agree with you with the Jose Aldo being a cheap shot. I think that power just means more at 145. Connor's left hand means more at a lower weight class. When you've got to cut more weight, that, that punch hurts more than it does. That yeah. punch won't matter at 170. That power left, that, that would, it would probably knock Cerrone out at 155. But at 170, it probably won't touch him. I mean, it'll, it'll hurt, but it's not going to flatline him like it would at 155 or 145. So Connor's going to have to rely on endurance, and that's not something that Connor's good at. Connor doesn't have endurance. He's got two to three rounds of really hardcore fighting, and then he's got two rounds of survival. That's pretty much what Connor's got. And so if, if Cowboy can get through those first two or three rounds of, of fury – then he's going to win the fight by decision, if nothing else, because Connor's going to look like ass during the fourth and fifth rounds. He always does. That's yeah. that's always what Connor does. So unless Connor goes up three rounds to nothing early on, he's not going to win by decision. He's going to have to knock him out, and then he's going to be trying to swing wildly in the fourth and fifth rounds when he's completely gassed, and he's going to look ugly. So I don't know that. I don't know if it's going to get that far. I'm going to probably say it's a stoppage in the fourth round for Cerrone. I, I said it as soon as I seen it was 170. I was like, man, Connor's getting lazy with the weight cuts, and it's going to screw him over. Uh, don't talk to me about Jorge Masvidal at 170. He ain't got a prayer against that guy. you got to be yeah. able to do these weight cuts effectively. And 
he's just not willing to put it in anymore to, to cut the weight to get down to those to those weights where he can really where his punches matter his punches don't matter of at 170 so you can forget it it's his career is pretty much over with now. He needs to just go into acting and, and whiskey and stuff. He's better at that anyways. He's a great fighter if he's willing to put in the, the work and get down to 145 or 155. But looks like he's getting a little lazy with the weight cuts, booking fights with the wrong guys at 170. So I'm going to go Cowboy Cerrone going away in the fourth with probably some sort of stoppage. I don't know if it'll just be from Connor being wore out and just not blocking punches anymore or if it'll be from an actual – like you said, some devastating knockout. I don't know which one it'll be, but I think it'll get stopped in the fourth. I think with the height difference, the head kick comes into play. I mean, Cerrone's a head kick guy anyway. He's a kickboxer, Muay Thai. But the height difference between him and Conor McGregor is substantial. Yeah. And the way that Cerrone kicks and the way he sets up those combos, I don't know if you saw him versus uh, uh, Matt Brown. But he hit Matt Brown. He faked the jab, and Matt Brown went down, and Cerrone just switch kicked him flat to the face, and it was ball game. And I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Yeah, I did. But watch I think that. the height difference. I, the height difference is so many people are just taking it out of the fight, and it matters so much because Cerrone is a tall guy, and the way he—I mean—he uses his legs just like uh, almost like Wonder Boy. And I think he's just going to catch McGregor and just, oh, my God, it's going to be glorious. Just like Holly Holm did to uh, Ronda Rousey. I think that's what it's going to be. It very well could be. And I, I don't I don't know which one it'll be. But I, if it were 155, it, I would not be having the same conversation. I would be like, no way. Connor's going to knock him out. It's 155. Cerrone's chin's going to be a little bit weakened from fighting so much and, and the weight cut. But at 170, when I seen that, I was like, God, Connor's giving this fight away. Why would you book a yeah. fight with a guy like Cowboy? You know how tough as nails that guy is. He's going to be on his exactly. ranch the day before the fight. He's going to be feeding cows, yeah. like throwing hay bales the day be- the morning of the fight, probably. Like yeah. That guy is the toughest guy in the UFC. Old, yeah. I mean, why would you book a fight with a guy like that where he doesn't have to cut weight? He's going to be a full strength. He probably, I bet Cowboy probably walks around at 175, maybe 180. He's going to barely have to yeah. cut weight. Like, that, that's just such a stupid pull for McGregor. I, that was a – that's the only thing. I think he's just getting lazy. It's just that he's yeah. going to – that the punch that he that he has made his name on, that, that left-handed punch that he's made his name on, oh, Mendez and Jose and uh, Eddie and all these other guys, it's not going to work. It doesn't work at 170. You've seen it with Nate. He, he punched Nate. 10 or 12 times square in the face and couldn't drop Nate. And I know Nate's got a really strong chin, but it's not that strong. You should be able to knock a guy out when you get 10 or 12 clean, clean punches on it with your best hand. But also he's punching up, too, when he's punching Nate Diaz. All those other guys are at his height level. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's why the height comes in. And when you're swinging up, you're losing a lot of momentum on that punch, too. Oh, I agree. And he's carrying around. Yeah, he's carrying around. Connor's going to have to put on about 20 pounds. So now he's carrying more weight. So now his punch is not going to be as effective. So I, I, it's an interesting fight, but I just think Cerrone's just – I think Cerrone's too technical, man. And Cerrone's a brawler, too. Like, it, oh. it don't matter. Yeah, anytime, anywhere, anybody. He's that's, But Connor's like that, too, but he just – he took the wrong one. He, he took the wrong fight against the wrong guy in this one. Yeah. And if it goes to the ground, it's Cerrone. I mean, it's game over. Probably, Cerrone's yeah. Cerrone's, yeah. Cerrone's a better wrestler. Yeah. He's certainly the better wrestler, for sure. So I I, uh, I guess we agree on it a little bit, uh, a few differences and how we think it's going to end, but really uh, really interesting stuff for you. Sounds like you're a UFC guy for sure, and so are we, or so am I. I know Brandon doesn't watch it as often as I do. I watch pretty much every major fight we get the pay-per-view on, and I watch all the ones that are free on ESPN, so... I love the UFC. I love the fighting game a lot. So, yeah, I uh, I did some uh, Krav Maga training when I was active duty. That really got me into it. And then uh, got stationed out here in Vegas. And I mean, it's the fight capital of the world. So oh yeah. Got into a couple gyms, started training, and yeah, I you're mean, able to go to all the fights. Yeah, you're right there. So, yeah, I uh, I actually went to uh, the first time I saw a Cowboy fight was on the Brock Lesnar card. December 31st, 2011, 
Wow. Uh, Brock Lesnar fought Overeem, and Cowboy fought uh, Diaz, and Cowboy got his butt whooped in that fight. Was that Nick Diaz? And then Brock Lesnar, obviously. Uh, I think it was his brother, yeah, Nick. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That was Nick Diaz. Yeah. But yeah, it was the first time I saw Cowboy, and then that's the first time I ever saw Brock fight in person, and it was phenomenal. Really cool, dude. Even though that's... they both lost, but it was awesome. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I, I like to hear stuff like that. So, we, you know what? I mean, we really appreciate you coming on. Hopefully, we can do this again soon. Uh, you know, safe travels on your way to Afghanistan, you said. So, Safe travels, yep. man. We we appreciate everything you've done for our country. We appreciate you coming on the podcast and giving us some picks and some really awesome UFC insight tonight. Um, no problem. I appreciate uh, the invite, guys. Absolutely, and, and hopefully we can do this again soon. Definitely. All right. Thank you, my man. All right, guys. Y'all take it easy. You too, dude. Exit Light Inner Podcast right. signing off. Thank you all, and absolutely go Hokies. Go Hokies, we'll see you in Charlotte.